the idea is like they're supposed to be a hundred Smurfs, exactly a hundred Smurfs. They don't get born. There's no Smurf sex. Um, they like come <laughs> from above. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we were like, okay, there's a hundred Smurfs, but there's only like 15 Smurfs that you like know their names, right? Like there's only like 15 recurring characters. So then we spent several hours coming up with the names of the 85 other Smurfs. One of whom was audiovisual Smurf. <laughs> um, yeah, and a lot of those Smurfs were probably be canceled today. <laughs> like invalid Smurf, uh-huh. um, gun toting Smurf, oh. stomping Smurf, great finger licking Smurf. <laughs> Wait, why was that? Why would that cancel you? I, it just sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what? What, Keith? We're getting Getting canceled. Here, we take on canceling with one cultural topic at a time, debating it endlessly, and maybe deciding something in the process. I wonder if we will get canceled ourselves. Oh, no! I'm Keith, an artist, professor, and sometime journalist who recently got out of Facebook jail. I'm Regina, a writer and teacher who loves justice but hates orthodoxy. And we are getting Getting canceled. The letter. Our cultural institutions are facing a moment of trial. Powerful protests for racial and social justice are leading to overdue demands for police reform, along with wider calls for greater equality and inclusion across our society, not least in higher education, journalism, philanthropy, and the arts. But this needed reckoning has also intensified a new set of moral attitudes and political commitments that tend to weaken our norms of open debate and toleration of differences in favor of ideological conformity. As we applaud the first development, We also raise our voices against the second. A Letter on Justice and Open Debate, authored principally by Thomas Chatterton Williams for Harper Magazine, does not directly name cancel culture, but points to forces of liberalism, in quotes, um, that have, as he says, intensified a new set of moral demands and political commitments that tend to weaken our norms of open debate and toleration of differences in favor of ideological conformity. He writes, along with some of the other writers of the letter, um, this has led to swift and se- severe retribution and shaming and ostracism for sometimes just clumsy mistakes by editors, journalists, professors, and prominent heads of institutions. Uh, so yeah, that's some of the letter. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, before you can even talk about the letter, do you have to like talk about what cancel culture, which it doesn't mention, uh, is or isn't, um, and whether it exists and who created that phrase. Mm. I mean, it seems to me that uh, the practice of ostracizing people is clearly not new, Mm -hmm. right? People have been ostracized since the beginning of human society. Sure. 
it's just the question now of who's being ostracized, what for, and who has the power to do that. Uh-huh. Um, and kind of undergirding that is the question of whether ostracizing anybody is a thing that we should be interested in doing. Mm. Right? Like not just the issue of, no, not these people, these people, right? Like I don't think those people over there should be ostracized. I think these people over here should be ostracized. Is this something that we do on the left primarily? No. Um, Oh, hell no. Um, I mean, you know, as people have brought up, like Colin Kaepernick, right? Like literally had his career taken away because of a political gesture. I mean, I guess you could call it sort of a form of speech. Williams calls Kaepernick the most canceled person of the 21st century. Yeah, but I feel like no one would use that phrase to describe him. I mean, Williams does. Right. I I don't know if... That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, because, yeah, he, he, he definitely was. Um, but, I mean, but the phrase is almost exclusively used or seems to have been coined by the right wing to describe things that the left wing is doing. Mm-hmm. And they don't see what they do to ostracize people as cancellation. Is it just ostracization? What's the word? It's a hard word to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it just that word or is it something more? Because I think that what the letter also points to is that the idea of canceling um, is like the obliteration of the person from the earth because (laughs) of something they did. Um, And so it's not just like we don't like you anymore. Um, It's that you don't actually have the ability to exist anymore because of that thing you said, that thing you were in close proximity to saying, or um, or just an idea that we don't like, which is why I sort of think that we do it more on the left to like ourselves um, than the right does to us. Yeah, I think. I mean that that's the irony, right? I mean it's the it's the thing that people always say about say the Republican Party versus the Democratic Party, right? Which is that Republicans maybe criticize each other behind closed doors, Mm -hmm. but when push comes to shove, they close ranks, right? Sure. Whereas Democrats are always publicly feuding and picking apart each other's, um, you know, ideas and commitment and uh, moral fabric, et cetera. We all believe all sorts of different things. We all come from different walks of life, and so like we're, Republicans we're admitting are admitting to being progressives, <laughs> liberals. We, I don't know. Are we? Are, are I don't know. What would you call yourself? I mean, I guess I'm. I'm <laughs> left leaning. <laughs> um, I mean, it it all depends on what that means, right? I mean, right. there is a time where uh, calling yourself a liberal would get you like trashed from the center or the right. But now also calling yourself a liberal gets you trashed from like people who are further left than you. Cause they're like liberal is just like right. a, you know, like just wading in the water. Right. But you got like liberalism is something they actually want, which is the ability to like say what they want and believe what they want and like live their lives, which is like kind of what liberalism is supposed to be. Right. In this, right. The actual definition <laughs> is, 
Um, but being a liberal has like is, gotten us canceled. Is tolerance, right? right. Um, but I mean, the, the thing also though is that um, tolerance is also now being attacked as like a lily-livered type mm-hmm. Snowflakes. Um, uh, political stance, right. right? That it's not enough for people who say have traditional religious beliefs, which for the record, I have none, um, but Same. people do. Um, and, uh, and Bill Maher yelling at them that they're stupid has not really done much to change their <laughs> minds. Um, uh-huh. But, uh, you know, so say, you know, whoever has this strongly held religious belief, if it's a minority religious belief, like if you're not Christian in particular, it's hard to um, to criticize because then it feels like you're criticizing someone's culture. Um, and they, you know, pr- tied into that, they have beliefs about like gender roles or um, sexuality or whatever that come into conflict with not only your belief system, but your existence. Um, we used to ask, okay, whatever, I'll live my life and you, you'll live yours and we'll leave each other alone. And that's tolerance. Now we've come to a point where people say it's not simply enough to tolerate, uh, people whose identities you don't understand. You like, unless you fully, uh, accept and embrace the things about this person, um, you're a bigot. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know if that's wrong. I might agree that they're a bigot, but I think, I don't know. Like, to me, the existence of bigotry is kind of just like a given of human existence. <laughs> so we had something here on the outline that we wanted to talk about where um, we wanted to... We feel like it's important to distinguish between people's words and ideas versus their actions. Someone that is sexist versus someone that is like committing sexual assault. Um, and I don't know. Do you want to talk a little bit more about about that? Um, well, I mean, there's obviously the the distinction of in terms of like crime, right? right. Um, in that most things that you say cannot get you arrested. But lots of things that you do can get you arrested. Sure. Um, and so there's, you know, a, obviously people have acknowledged in the past a distinction between um, between talking about a thing and doing a thing. Um, but now that distinction seems to be broken down. Well, that's what I feel like is conflated in cancel culture yeah. is that... Um, no longer doing a thing can get you in some serious jeopardy. And it's also just tweeting about the thing or saying the thing or thinking the thing. And so therefore doing of the thing becomes less consequential and important because you can also get some pretty serious um, repercussions for just tweeting it. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, a lot of this has to do with social media, right? Sure. Like the the ability of um, literally any person to communicate with millions of other people whom they don't know 
um, has taken this conversation sort of out of real physical spaces and into kind of like an endless um, intellectual space. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's part of it. Um, and in some ways that's a good thing, right? Like yeah. people who don't know each other are able to communicate and contact each other. I mean, that's the whole, that's the whole sort of beauty of me too, right? Is that literally it's a hashtag and did not require anyone to make a decision, right? Like it, no producer had to decide to put people on the air. Uh -huh. um, no editor had to decide to go to print with a story, even though, you know, in some ways you could say that the, the, the Twitter response pushed people in traditional media to cover stories that they would not otherwise have covered or would have hesitated in covering. And the alternative of that is that it pushes us as journalists in the wrong direction to cover stuff that maybe we shouldn't cover because that's not the real world on Twitter. That's the Twitter world. Right. And so there is criticism that we suck up too much oxygen from stories in the Twitter world um, that aren't actually occurring in real life. Right. It's the hyperbolic Twitter, you know, and there, I think there's good arguments to be made that we should be covering Trump's tweets no matter how crazy they are because they're official statements from the fucking president of the United States, yeah. right? But then, like, when does that go wrong and are we using Twitter fodder incorrectly to to blow up a story that actually isn't being talked about in the real world, just yeah. in the Twitter world? Yeah. And it also makes... Um, it makes journalists out of people who maybe aren't actually journalists. Mm, um, right. Like people, you know, are Ronan Farrow is now starting to get a lot of backlash for his book. Yeah, he was almost canceled for like a day there. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, for for the book Catch and Kill, basically because there are people who are like, um, he's not a journalist. Like he didn't go to J school. You know, like he's just a very smart person. Most journalists don't go to J school. This is true. Yeah. Um, but uh, he, um, yeah. I mean, he's been accused of because he seems to have an emotional stake in outing predators. Because his father is Woody Allen. Correct. Which you're going to have thoughts about in probably a later episode. Yep, probably. <laughs> um, that he tends to, um, you know, credit evidence that other people might not credit and discard evidence that might tend to weaken his argument. Right. Um, you know, literally this is a thing that I try to teach like teenagers not to do in their writing. Um, like if, if something complicates your argument, like you have to argue your way out of it. Mm -hmm. You can't just be like, I'm not looking at that anymore. Right. Um, and I feel like that, that cancel culture such as it exists is about not looking at that complicated thing anymore going back to tweets from 2015 and finding the one tweet that supports your inevitable cancellation in 2020 yeah with neglecting the five years of history in between that doesn't support your cancellation right yeah um and like conveniently forgetting 
that the demands that you made, the apologies that you that you asked for were actually given. Um, because that's, you know, inconvenient to, uh, to your, your argument, which essentially is like an argument fueled by rage. Right. I mean, I think most of these sort of Twitter pylons, even if they don't start that way, sort of end up in a place of like extreme anger. That's sort of like a good thing that I think is the result of the Me Too movement is the ability for women to express rage, <laughs> right? Like that is such a long, uh, a, a long fought battle, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so great. And then also mm-hmm. like, how do we make sure that we don't conflate that by putting Harvey Weinstein, Louis C.K., and Aziz Ansari in the same box. <laughs> yeah. Do they deserve to be in the same box? I think we're going to probably talk about later that they don't. Right. Um, but a rage can be construed for all three of them. But, like, what are the gradations of that rage? What is the result of that rage? Um, and how fair is it? Um and I think it depends on the person and the situation. And um, I, I think that's my deepest fear about canceling and why I wanted to sort of bring us here is to like parse out the nuance of that conversation um, and argue endlessly and maybe come up with some answers, but probably just more questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't know. That's Yeah, I think the greatest lesson from the Harper's letter is that people should not sign open letters. Interesting. Can you say more about that? Um, because meaning is, is constructed from, um, from the whole uh, totality of names that are attached to the open letter, right? There's what's in the letter. There's who wrote the letter. Then there's who signed the letter. So there's this YouTuber, Natalie Wynn, um, who is a victim of her own cancellation. I don't really know her work, but I've started to to look into some of her work. Yeah. Um, and she talks about the transitive property of cancellation, um, which is that just by association with someone else that has been canceled, if you end up on the open letter list with, let's say, Barry Weiss or J.K. Rowling, and you're not wanting to be associated with those two people and they also signed the letter, then these people found themselves in this pickle where it's like, well, I agree with these things that this person that I hate slash canceled also agrees with. Uh, Am I canceled now? Yeah. And I wonder if that's like an expression of the transitive property of cancellation. Yeah, it it definitely is. Um, And I think, I don't remember the exact people, but I, I at least a few people were like, oh, take my name off now. Right. Which is like that's you can't. Jennifer Finney, Finney Boylan, um, professor, trans person who appeared on that I Am Kate show uh-huh. with Caitlyn Jenner. Oh which yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that show. <laughs> did you watch that? Show? I did not watch that show. Oh my god, we have to watch that show and talk about it. I <laughs> it's I, my favorite. It's one of my favorite shows. It's so trashy, but I love it. Yeah, I uh, my consumption of celebrity reality shows is very, very I, limited. I can't do it, but that show. 
I mean, yeah, that show kiss. offered a little a little something different. It's something for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Uh-huh. Um but uh but yeah, I mean I, I it's sort of ironic, interestingly, that that people would change their mind about wanting their name on on the letter based on who agrees with them in broad strokes about um, the danger of social media pylons um, because then basically by taking your name off the letter, you just said that you don't actually believe what you said you believe. You've canceled the canceling letter? Yeah. Right. Um, So it's sort of like if you believe what's in the letter, the fact that someone else believes it who you find appalling shouldn't actually change your feeling about it. But you think the solution to that is that they shouldn't have signed the letter to begin with and no more, no more open letter signing? I mean, I don't know. How brave do people want to be? You know right. what I mean? Like, what hill do you want to die on? Yeah. So I don't yeah. think that's the, the solution. I don't, I don't think the solution is like, don't sign open letters. I think the solution has to be more complicated than that. Like, I, I, I guess I feel like working through this we have to like find out a way to have more conversation be the answer and not less conversation be well, the I, answer. I think everybody agrees that there are some things, some views that are just abhorrent no, way, no matter how you look at it. Yeah. Right? Um, like genocide is abhorrent. Um, you know, violence, inciting violence against people is abhorrent. Um, and then after that, the line seriously (laughs) is like, just sort of like sliding all over the place. Uh Um, whereas, you know, I think most people agree that racism is bad, broadly speaking, but they don't all agree on what racism is. Mm -hmm. Um, or if they even are. Right. Um, so the the questions then become you know should people what should people be expected to know what should people be expected to understand and if they don't understand it um how much room are they supposed to be given to learn it uh yeah, and then this, of course, opens up the whole problem of it's not the job of the oppressed persons to educate yeah, let's talk about the that. oppressor, but I honestly don't understand how it happens otherwise. Right, because then, like, this is where I have come into some problems before of I, my Facebook account was briefly locked when I... <laughs> got into an argument with someone one time. Woohoo, Facebook jail. Yeah, I know. I got I got in Facebook jail for a couple hours. Um and and I get it. Like not asking you, not asking someone from any sort of like oppressed group of people to like do the work for me as a white dude. I get it, especially if you're like not getting paid to do so. But then like does that just end up being this like vacuum of conversation that like I'm not allowed to ask questions right. because I because the answer to the question could be offensive or it could be 
well, fuck you, why don't you already know that? Go read a book. I've read lots of books. I'm sitting right next to all of my books. Right now, I have piles of books. I've read lots of books. And I still have questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I should have questions. Um, and I think that a lot of white people do have questions. And I I, I get that it's taxing. Uh, and, I, you know, as a queer person, like, shit's taxing for me, too. Um not to equate my experience as a queer person to your experience as a black person, but like there, but there's like, there's gotta be some conversation that can be used there. Yeah. Um, that we have to be allowed to ask questions. Yeah. And then especially because, um, the proposed solution, right. Read a book, which is not actually human interaction. Right. Like the, and the, and the notion that, anything you might want to know about the black experience is contained in a book somewhere is kind of offensive on its face. And a book doesn't allow you to get things wrong. Right. (laughs) Or to say, hey, wait a minute, maybe we should have a conversation about that. Right. Um, And a book is safe. Right. Right. But like, I, I hope that we can all have the opportunity to be unsafe in conversations and to ask things that we wouldn't, that we would feel that people can go Google and for the safe answer, but ultimately that's not human interaction and that's just, that's taking the easy way out. Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton. Okay, so here's the tea on Tom Cotton. Um, Editorial, New York Times, the headline is Send in the Troops. Um, The argument being, being there's a lot of unrest during Black Lives Matter protests and a National Guard should be called in. Now, um, this was published. Uh, there was an uproar in the newsroom, particularly from younger black journalists um, who said that threatening that in an editorial on a platform like the New York Times uh, is significant and is a problem um, because it uh, threatens their lives, essentially. Yeah. Um, and... This led to the resignation of uh, one of the editors of the opinion page, James Bennett, um, who also claims that he did not read the letter prior to it getting printed, which I think is part of the problem here. Yeah, he Um, just needs to be fired because he didn't do his job. (laughs) Right. Well, we don't even need to get to the like content of the like it could be. I mean, one could ask whether or not he would ever have gotten caught not doing his job right. had the content of the of the op-ed been otherwise. Did you read the op-ed? Uh, no. <laughs> Do you have any interest in reading the op-ed? No. Yeah, me neither. Nope. But here's the thing. Uh, Tom Cotton is a senator. Right. With the really hilarious last name of Cotton, depending on how you view hilarity. Uh, and... Uh, he has this opinion, and he's a f- hardcore Trumper, right? right? Um, why should Tom Cotton not be able to publish his opinion in the New York Times being a senator in the United States government? Um, well... Or should he? I, I don't know if every person who's a senator, like, automatically gets, like, their week in the New York Times. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think what their what they're offering or what they're writing or what they're saying um has to be subjected to some scrutiny sure um by the editor who didn't read it right um and i think also 
I think that's just, I, I, I think this, this event kind of just speaks to how confused a lot of white people are right now mm. <laughs> that people who even like last year would have regarded publishing such a piece as not a serious suggestion are now so buffeted by like contradictory ideas about um, what's permissible or desirable to, to disseminate in terms of ideas that they just have like lost all common sense. Mm. Um, I don't know that it was white people that were revolting though. Revolting though. It was some of the black people that were working for the New York times. Yeah. But I feel, I feel as if the, the, we certainly got in a tizzy about it. Yeah. Yeah. The editor who I'm presuming is a white person. Yes. Um, just sort of has, I mean, I can't imagine a scenario in which this piece gets printed in the New York Times even a few years ago. Do you know what I mean? That it's like, in some ways, the Trump presidency has like pulled the Overton window like back in the other direction mm. um, so that, now, because people have certain positions of authority, um, like other people in, in authority are sort of like seduced into thinking that they can they can sort of put their stamp of approval on this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it just seems like so boneheaded. Mm -hmm. Well, he is a bonehead. Yeah. Um, cotton or cotton, yeah. Um, and it also just seems boneheaded on the part of the Times. Oh right, yeah. I mean, what is behind all that? Is it are they are they losing money? Like why? No, they're having their best performance they've ever had. So right what's now? going on? Like over at the paper? Well, I think there is um, a legitimate concern to appear balanced, right? And they're particularly on their editorial page. Um, but and like the I think Wall Street is, Journal doesn't have that concern. Like their editorials are like almost always ridiculously conservative, even though the content of the paper is not. I think the Wall Street Journal doesn't make any apologies about that, though. And yeah. That the New York Times is kind of on a on like its own level and mm -hmm. its own platform. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is what Williams and the Harper's letter is sort of about, is the creating the false equivalency of two views. Um, and this was the disagreement to the letter as well, which is that, so if we're publishing something on like the science of climate change, do we also need to interview a climate change denier in the same article? And the answer is no, no. obviously not, because climate change is science, right? Um, if you're interviewing a, uh, someone who is anti-racist, do you need to interview someone that's racist? No, you do not. Um, but there is this desire amongst journalists, particularly on the platform of the New York Times, to appear like we are serving all. Right. And in serving all, we serve none. Right. <laughs> because that is not something that deserves equal attention. Now, I think this is the issue around the J.K. Rowling thing is um, that that. Um, that there is no answer 
to trans issues, right? There is no counter. Trans people are people. Trans people are real people. There is no counter to saying that trans people are not real, which I think is sort of the gist of what J.K. Rowling is going for. And that's the argument for why um, the letter is ultimately bad um, because... um, uh, because of that kind of false equivalency kind mm-hmm. of thing that's happening. But I think Williams is saying we shouldn't have that false equivalency. We shouldn't, um, like the Washington Post had, um, if we're capitalizing the B and black, right. the Washington Post also announced that they would capitalize the W and white, which is bullshit as far yeah. as I'm concerned because there's no equivalency between those two things, right? Black is a kind of unique experience to have about the world, um, and as a kind of category of person, whereas white is a kind of blanket generalization of a lot of right. us um, and has no kind of proper nounness to it, I guess would be my explanation of it. Um, and so uh, where was I going with this? The letter is bad or false equivalencies. <laughs> right. Both yeah, yeah, of those yeah. things you were going towards. Sure. Yes. So And so in terms of the opinion page there, um, the opinion page is attempting to give voice to a kind of Trumpism um, while also being the liberal paper that the New York Times is and is definitely including most of the writers in the New York Times, which are no secret liberal journalists. Right. Um, So my argument also, though, for the Tom Cotton publication of that piece is what is, is there a danger to not, giving Tom Cotton a platform Mm -hmm. to say the racist things that he is saying and allowing those things to be secret versus public. Because, like, I I think that the New York Times is guilty of not providing a little bit more context to this and saying, like, pointing out the factual inaccuracies of the piece. Um, But... I worry more about racist being racist in secret than racist being racist in public. Right. <laughs> because then we don't know, right? I, like, I, again, not meaning to equate my issues as a queer person with, with race issues, but, like, I, I would prefer you to be homophobic out loud so I know where we stand. Right. If I don't know that about you, then I might get myself into an unsafe situation without knowing it. Mm-hmm. Right? Um... If you're carrying a gun, I want to see the gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want the gun to be hidden um, because then I know what we're doing here and I know what the kind of circumstances are of this and interaction's going to be. Yeah. So I would argue that Tom Cotton should be allowed to publish that in the New York Times because I want people to know that Tom Cotton is an asshole. Right. And I don't think that otherwise readers of the New York Times, which don't know anything about Tom Cotton... I don't know much about Tom Cotton, but I do now, and I hate him even more now because of the things that he published. And that's why I sort of argue that he should be allowed to publish it so that I know where we stand. Um, Yeah, I mean, and it says on the, it's, you know, the Times editorial page, of course, disowns any opinions expressed by the writers, right? Like they explicitly says, like we they, do not necessarily endorse. And they any always of this say stuff. the same people that work in the opinion page are not the same people that are reporting right. in the newsroom. They always say that. We know that to be true. But I don't know if if people really believe that. You know, um, I feel as if, and I'm not necessarily necessarily saying you're wrong. I'm just uh, making. You can say that I'm wrong. Yeah, I know I can, but. Um, <laughs> um, 
but uh, the the argument that people who feel strongly about it would would make is that to be published in the times implies a sort of seriousness right that sure. that um that the times has at least found that this person of all the people they could be publishing on this page um has something you should pay is to something to say that you should pay attention to. They're and not they saying presumably read it. Right. They're not saying why you should pay attention to it. They're just saying this is an idea that's out there. It seems to be an important enough idea that we thought you should be able to read it. Okay. So let's wrap this up. Do you like the Harper's letter, Regina? Um, I don't, I don't really like it. Why? Um, I don't know if it really says anything specific enough to have strong uh, feelings about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess I understand why some people dislike it because they think it's, it's a veiled reference to them specifically. <laughs> Um, is that what the internet also has wrought that everybody thinks that everyone is talking to them directly? <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> there is the kind of false sense of friendship on the internet. Yeah. Right. Like you, you feel like they're, they followed you and you followed them and that we're close in some way when you actually are not at all. Yeah. No. Um, and I think that that's what can make canceling feel so hard and so powerful and so personal. Um, Natalie Wynn yeah. is quoted in the interview that she does with On the Media for yep. WNYC saying that her cancellation was worse than her being raped because the cancellation feels personal. Yeah. Because it feels like the people that she surrounds herself with, that she likes and that who like her and that frequently like her comments and like her videos, she's like a YouTube celebrity, I guess, um, now all of a sudden don't like her, and not only don't like her, but have unsubscribed and will never like her again, right? And that feels personal. Whether or not that's real or not, I think is up for debate, this question of your followers being your friends. Yeah. But at least the rapist is someone that she knows is not on her side. Immediately. <laughs> right? right. Um, and knows is awful, and knows is horrific, and she doesn't have to engage with ever again, uh, but she has lost her friends, That's yeah. how she sort of explains it. I can agree or disagree with that, and I'm sure people can agree or disagree with that. I know that's pretty controversial, and certainly Wynn is used to making controversial statements. But I think that's like so true about cancellation um, that it sucks. It just like really hurts in some weird way. That I mean, it, it also speaks to the idea of not having the presumption of innocence, not being asked what one meant not being uh, cushioned by the goodwill of people with whom you had previously had a positive relationship, a friendship even, um, that it's alarming that those people would so quickly jump to, um, oh, you're done, I can't have anything else to do with you. Um, and I think, again, there are certain things that if people said them or did them, um, 
that would be appropriate, sure. right? Like if and we will get to them in this series. Yeah, if <laughs> if if you were best friends with someone and then you were given incontrovertible proof that they like, you know, trafficked poor children um, for nefarious purposes, like Hillary Clinton, right, in the pizza parlor, <laughs> um, you would be justified. Just, just for the record, listeners. We don't think that Hillary Clinton trafficked children. Pizzagate's not real. Um, <laughs> that uh, you would be justified in certain circumstances in immediately cutting off a relationship, right? But most of the things that people are getting canceled for aren't that. So this is my argument for why I like the letter. Because it's general in the way that it's necessary because it's talking about a lot of different stuff in as few amount of words as possible um, to get people to sign them and call attention to something that I think deserves attention. Um, and so my my argument is that I, I do like the Harper's letter. On balance, it's a, it's a good thing. Yes. I like, I dislike the response of the Harper's letter of the canceling of the canceling letter. Yes. Which is just so ironic that it does, it is funny um, but I think further proves the point of why I think something like the letter in its generalities is actually necessary um, because I think it casts a wide net to shine a light on something mm-hmm. that deserves to be talked about, which is why I asked us here to talk about it. Do you have a different feeling about the letter itself and the signatories to the letter? Like, do you think that they could have done a better job uh, choosing who they wanted to sign on? Like, is the, the distraction of J.K. Rowling, for example, like... But I think the distraction of J.K. Rowling is the point and reiterates the point of the letter. Got it. Because I don't think that J.K. Rowling has done anything horrible enough to get her kicked off the face of the earth. Ooh, 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 wait. Controversy. I hear sirens. Controversy. <laughs> They're coming to get you. I'm getting canceled. <laughs> but, like, that's the point. Like, you know, like... I, I don't particularly like J.K. Rowling's stances, and I also think that it's weird that that's the hill she's dying on, but whatever. Yeah. Like, no one's going to stop reading Harry Potter, nor I don't, nor do I think they should. I haven't read Harry Potter. <laughs> Have you seen the movies, at least? I, no, not Damn, really. Damn, shit. All I've right. seen, like, part of one movie. Was it because you're so in, in support of trans rights that you refused? I, yes. I knew this 20 years ago <laughs> when I refused to read Harry Potter. It's also because I'm an adult. Okay, my last question of the day that I think we should ask ourselves all the time. Regina, did I say anything this episode that would get me canceled? By me? No. Cool. I don't think that you have said anything this episode that would get you canceled. Depends who you ask. (laughs) Maybe we'll feel differently when when people actually hear this. Like and subscribe. This has been Getting Cancelled. I'm Regina Robbins. And I'm Keith Palmadellis. And our sound editor is Evan Manis. Stay safe out there and stay uncancelled. Bum, bum, bum.
I'm Cotton. They should just call. They should just change his name to Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> Except the people have fond feelings about Foghorn Leghorn. Is Foghorn Leghorn racist? Is Foghorn Leghorn canceled? We need to talk about Looney Tunes at some point, right? We'll make an episode.